Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special St. Michael Youth Ministry podcast. It is Fraz here, and today we have the Stations of the Cross, which follow Jesus from his betrayal all the way through his death and him being laid in the tomb. Today's stations that we're going to be praying together is the Journey to the Cross. It's actually a version of the stations that were based on those that were celebrated by John Paul II on Good Friday in 1991. And what I love about it is that it has reflections with each station and isn't quite the traditional stations. It's more based in Scripture itself. We hope that the different voices on here help to remind you of the different ways in which we are called by Christ to experience and to be a part of each part of His journey along the way. We hope everybody is having an amazing Lent and know that you guys are in our thoughts and our prayers. Without any further ado, let's pray together the Stations of the Cross. Station 1. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. When he arrived at the place Gethsemane, he said to them, Pray that you may not undergo the test. After withdrawing about a stone's throw from them and kneeling, he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Still, not my will, but yours be done. He was in such agony, and he prayed so fervently that his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he rose from prayer and returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping from grief. We all go through times when what we know we must go through seems like more than we can handle. Facing those who disapprove or dislike you, knowing that the choices that you or your loved ones are making will only cause more pain down the road. Realizing, the mis realizing that the mistake you made may cost not only money but also the trust of people you love. Even the knowledge that you hurt someone, even if you didn't intend it, can be enough to fuel a sleepless and pain-filled night. When Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done, he surrendered himself to whatever was coming, knowing full well that it would be horrific and painful. But Jesus also knew, knew that while the pain would be excruciating, he also knew it would be short-lived. He knew that the outcome would be far better because of the pain he went through. He knew that the only real agony in any life is to be separated from God. The same is true for us all. What in my life do I agonize over? How can I invite God into a situation that I know is going to be hurt me? Could I ease the turmoil in my life with the knowledge that new life may come from my pain? Jesus, when I know whatever it is coming is going to hurt, remind me that it won't last forever, and that you will be there with me through it all. Station 2. Jesus is betrayed and arrested. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, accompanied by a large crowd, with swords and clubs, who had come from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had arranged a sign with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him. Immediately he went over to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus answered, Friend, do what you have come for. 
Then stepping forward, they laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? Day after day, I sat teaching in the temple area, yet you did not arrest me. But all this has come to pass that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. At this stop on our journey, we are faced with the truth that one of Jesus' closest friends has not only betrayed him, but has also turned him over for certain execution. As the saying goes, with friends like him, who needs enemies? Friends will disappoint us, gossip about us, and maybe even lie about us to make themselves look good. Sometimes it's not our enemies that we need to look out for. And yet, with the knowledge that our friends could hurt us, do we still love them any less? Even when Jesus knew what Judas was there for, he still called him friend. How's that for unconditional love and forgiveness? Who in my life do I still hold grudges against? Even though they hurt me, do I still call them a friend? Jesus, be with me when I am betrayed, and be my strength so that I may still call them friend. Station 3, Jesus is questioned and condemned. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Then the high priest said to him, I order you to tell us under oath before the living God whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him in reply, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need have we of witnesses? You have now heard the blasphemy. What is your opinion? They said in reply, He deserves to die. Then they spat in his face and struck him, while some slapped him, saying, Prophesy for us, Messiah. Who is it that struck you? When it was morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Jesus was condemned to die because he defied the standards of both the state and the religious establishment in which he lived. To both, he brought a truth they did not want to hear. He set out to witness to the love, mercy, and justice of the God of all creation. Jews and Gentiles, women as well as men, no one would be excluded from the, from the light of God's love. He cured on the Sabbath, mixed with foreigners, taught theology to women, played with children, questioned every law, and chose people over ritual every time. He threatened the status quo with his incessant attempts to bring God a little closer to the earth, and they condemned him for it. In our own lives, we are sometimes condemned whether we choose it or not. However it comes our way, the goal in life is not to run from condemnation, but to simply decide who will condemn us and why. When we are condemned for the right reasons, if our cause is just, we know that Jesus will be standing with us, hands tied, head up, and unyielding. What is it in life for which I am willing to be condemned? Jesus, when I am being condemned for doing good, where wrong has been, strengthen me. Station 4. Jesus is denied by Peter. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. One of the maids came over to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it in front of everyone, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. As he went out to the gate, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. 
A little later, the bystanders came over and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them. Even your speech gives you away. At that he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and began to weep bitterly. Having run away from the garden, Peter ends up by a fire in the courtyard. He is asked if he was with Jesus. Peter doesn't just say he was not there. He goes even further, three times in a row, to say that he doesn't even know Jesus. His fear has overshadowed his faith, and he knows it. It fills him with remorse. He sheds tears of guilt. So often we see potential trouble on the horizon and run from it. We go out of our way to create the illusion that all is well, nothing, knowing full well that it is not. Eventually, of course, the truth always catches up to us. This is the time that we cry out for reassurance and love, for the presence of Jesus, and hopefully we discover that he has been with us all along. What truths do I try and deny in my life? What can I do to better live with my truths? Jesus, when I try to deny the truth in my life, show me the pathway to your presence. Station 5. Jesus is judged by Pilate. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? He replied, You say so. The chief priests accused him of many things. Again, Pilate questioned him, Have you no answer? See how many things they accuse you of. Jesus gave him no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas and handed Jesus over to be crucified. Jesus was sent to Pilate because he was not the Messiah they expected. Pilate, sure that he knew what the crowd would do, offers to free Jesus, the gentle carpenter preacher, or Barabbas, the presumably dangerous criminal. They chose Barabbas. They traded the life of God's own son for that of a criminal. By anyone's standards, that is clearly unthinkable. The reality is that Jesus loved them in an all-forgiving, all-embracing, unconditional love. Instead of rejoicing in in the light of that love, they destroyed him instead. They were insulted that Jesus did not ratify their own preconceived notions of God and themselves. They were infuriated that he did not act as they thought a Messiah should. God came to them in a way they did not expect and they did not want. So often in our lives, we scoff at the truth when it shows itself as something other than what we think we already know. Sometimes we sit with our own limitations, waiting for God in the way we expect, and completely miss the fact that God has already come another way. What situations or people do I judge in my life? What unfair preconceptions do I hold that affect the way I view the world around me? Jesus, help me to see you clearly when I want to judge and dismiss your presence in my life. Station 6. Jesus is scourged and crowned with thorns. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged. And the soldiers wove a crown out of thorns and placed it on his head and clothed him in a purple cloak. And they came to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him repeatedly. Once more, Pilate went out and said to them, 
Look, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak, and he said to him, Behold the man. The scourging marks the point in Jesus' journey where his physical horror becomes clearly visible and painful to contemplate. Jesus is utterly alone, vulnerable, stripped of his clothes, and handed over simply to be tortured, terrified, and mocked. They will intentionally work to humiliate, dehumanize, and demean him. They will give him a taste of what is coming, taking his dignity from him piece by piece as they rip away pieces of his skin and make him bleed, inflicting pain for the sake of inflicting pain. As humans, we recoil with the mental image of a beaten and bleeding Jesus. We tell ourselves that surely I would not be among those who laugh and mock at him. Time and again, we hear of people who have been mocked, abused, and victimized, while nearby stands a crowd filled with those who did not want to get involved. The newspapers are full of stories of those who have been murdered for no reason than hatred, because they looked different or acted different or their beliefs were different. In each of these people, if we choose to look close enough, if we truly have the nerve, we see the image of a beaten and bleeding Jesus. What can I do to help those who are marginalized in our society? How can I leave the crowd of bystanders and help those who need me? Jesus, give me the love it takes to help the ones the world sees as victims. Station 7. Jesus bears the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. When the chief priests and the guards saw Jesus, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. They cried out, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then they handed him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. To choose one path in life over another is to choose its consequences. Real commitment implies that we carry the burdens of our choices in bad times as well as good, on difficult days as well as easy ones, in the face of opposition as well as great support. We pay the price of being true to ourselves, of doing what must be done, when doing what is convenient would be much easier. When Jesus took up the cross, all hope for a miraculous end to an impossible situation vanished, for him and for us. The cost of truth is often painful. It's so easy to talk the talk. Walking the walk is the hard part. It is really very easy to begin a journey but continuing on and seeing it through all the questions, criticisms, doubts, and despairs that may come with it is where the true test of our path is found. Having begun a good thing, will I pay the price to bring it to fulfillment? Jesus, when what I set out to do seems more than I can achieve, give me the courage to go on. Station 8. Jesus is helped by the Simon the Cyrenian. 
We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. As they led him away, they took hold of the certain Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country. After laying the cross on him, they made him carry it behind Jesus. Being where suffering is, associating yourselves with it, standing with those whom society has shunned, is a great and gracious witness. Sometimes we choose it. Sometimes we are thrust into the midst of it. Agencies that care for the poor are in the need of money and supplies. A relative's child has nowhere to go but with us. A neighbor's turns for us to help that we do not freely offer and we do not want to give. We're busy, we're tired, we don't want to get involved. We are unwilling to change the comfortable pattern of our lives. But sometimes, if we are lucky, we find ourselves in one of life's great acts, whether we want to be or not. Then we so often discover that it is not as much as what Simon did for Jesus than what Jesus did for Simon. When we open up our hearts to others in need, we are very likely to discover our own hidden needs have been healed in the process. What am I being called to do for someone in need right now? Is it convenient or untimely? What could God be offering me in this situation? Jesus, when I fail to recognize the needs of those around me, send them into my life so that I may know the wholeness that comes from generosity. Station 9. Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. A large crowd of people followed Jesus, including many women who mourned and lamented him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep instead for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming when people will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. At the time, People will say to the mountains, fall upon us, and to the hills, cover us. For if these things are done when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? On first reading, it appears that these women are weeping for Jesus, while Jesus tells them to weep for themselves, more than likely to a certain extent. They already were. Jesus understood that trial, persecution, suffering, and even death could not serve his con connection to his father. These women had, so, had no such certainty. Jesus had offered them love and compassion, and they welcomed his words of healing and freedom. He had broken all sorts of social and religious conventions to connect with them. And now he was on his way to die. The man who brought them hope was now the image of hopelessness. To these women, their desperate situations must have looked even more bleak and uncertain. We are no different. Sometimes we lack perspective. We act as if the troubles and persecutions we face belong only to us. But none of us lives in a vacuum. 
Each of us is part of a bigger picture, a larger history, a longer and bigger human drama. We are all attached to each other. Understanding how we are connected to each other offers us new hope, new opportunity, and new life. What is my place in history? How do I and how can I make a difference in the world? Jesus, when I am tempted to wallow in self-pity, show me your light of hope so that I may find my way out of the darkness. Station 10, Jesus is crucified. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him and the criminals there, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. They divided his garments by casting lots. The people stood by and watched. The, the rulers, meanwhile, sneered at him and said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the chosen one, the Messiah of God. Even the soldiers jeered him. As they approached to offer him wine, as wine they called out, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him, there was, no, there was an inscription that read, this is the king of the Jews. When what, when what we know is right exacts more from us than we think we can give, then Jesus nailed to a cross is our only hope that one day the cross will see we worth the climbing. The cross is what we feel when the project flounders, when the job ends. When the love disintegrates, when your friends leave you, and when your family disappoints you. It is when we are out there, vulnerable and alone, that we begin to realize that life's real problem does not lie in being nailed to the cross. It lies in, being cho it lies in choosing a cross that is too small to justify being nailed to in the first place. When we spend our energies on small things or chasing dreams that never, that never satisfy us. We suffer much to lose them, but far too small for a reason. Am I spending my life, my hopes, my emotions on things great enough to make the pain of losing them worthwhile? Are they big enough to risk the pain of losing their loss? Jesus gave me the grace to choose carefully the things to which I gave my heart and my life to. Station 11, Jesus speaks to the good thief. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuked him and said in reply, Have you no fear of God, for you are subject to the same condemnation? And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we receive corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about it for a moment. 
This good thief was one of the few who actually spoke kind words to Jesus on this horrific day. But what a wonderful reward he receives for so small a gesture. He receives the keys to heaven for a simple act of kindness. And though his own, and through his own agony, Jesus offered him hope. That same hope is offered to all of us. Jesus reminds us that even a criminal on the verge of death is still valued in the eyes of God. Granted, the thief was being executed and was surely frightened of what was coming after he died. He had a very short window of opportunity to repent, but he took it. For all of us right now, we have the gift of time. Why wait until the last minute? How hard can it be to offer a bit of encouragement, kind words, or even just a smile to everyone we meet? As the good thief shows us, the reward is great for so small an act of kindness. What words can I offer that may help transform the lives of those I meet? What do I need to look past in myself to see the face of Jesus in everyone I meet? Jesus, when I am tempted to ignore and judge the people in my life, both friend and stranger, help me to instead offer a few kindnesses that will ease their way. Station 12. Jesus speaks to his mother and the disciples. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Colapis, and Mary of Magdala, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. John 19, 25-27. Jesus and Mary met under the worst of circumstances. He is a condemned outcast on the way out to his execution. She is a widow left alone in a male-dominated world without the help of her only son and with no visible means of support. Both of them, in a way, were condemned. But she does not beg him to change his life for her, and he does not change his path to suit her needs. At first, that reality jars the soul a bit. Shouldn't he live his life to care for her as she had for him? Shouldn't she demand from him his, com his conversion to the ways of the world in which they lived? Isn't that what good sons do? The answer is yes, only if we believe that our children belong more to us than to God. The answer is yes, only if we think that love requires molding a person to ourselves rather than changing ourselves so the good of others is realized. In this case, mother and son love one another enough to respect the place of God in their lives, no matter how painful the circumstances, outcome, or aftermath. How can I better love the people in my life so that God's plan for them can be realized? Jesus, when I am tempted to put the expectations of others above your will in my life, give me the strength to trust that pleasing you will ultimately be the best I can do for them. Station 13. Jesus dies. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because of an eclipse of the sun. Then the veil of the temple was torn down the middle. 
Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Sometimes there is no happy ending. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we're beaten. Sometimes we're lost, humiliated, and misunderstood. Sometimes we're abandoned by the very people we love most in life and whom we thought loved us in return. At that point, without a doubt, something in us dies. There is no going back the way things were before. Doors close in our hearts. The breath goes out of us and all that seems possible is to surrender to the darkness. And yet, the reality is that each nightfall is always followed by a sunrise. There is no other way to get to daybreak without living through the darkness of the night. Sometimes we must be tried and crucified to experience the joy of resurrection. Am I able to accept the daily deaths in my life, both the great and the small, with the acknowledge that these deaths are not the end, but only their passing over into something new within me? Jesus, at this moment I do accept the daily deaths in my life thankful for their gifts and their promise of new life. Station 14, Jesus is placed in the tomb. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it to be handed over. Taking the body, Joseph wrapped it in linen and laid it in his new tomb that he had hewn in the rock. Then he rolled a huge stone across the entrance to the tomb and departed. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven through sixty. The final stop on our journey brings us face to face with loss, its futile efforts, its wasted dreams. Can anything worse be imagined than the death of the ideal? When hope dies, when everything we ever wanted gets thrown away, discarded, overlooked, ignored, forgotten, we eat the dust of despair. We wonder what life was ever about if this is what it all comes to. Despite our best intentions, our struggles have been for nothing. Then hopefully we realize that only God is God, that we are not in charge of time or truth, and that this is not a perfect world. But life goes on from one moment to another from one stage to another. The reality is that when Jesus died, one life ended so that another could begin. It wasn't the end, it was just the end of the beginning. Am I prepared to let go of everything, my wants, my expectations, my ideals, so that God's will can come in a new way? Am I able to trust that the tombs in my life are all gateways to resurrection? Jesus, when I am tempted to insist on being in, able to control the situations of my life to the point of ignoring your other pathways to new ideas, insights, and beginnings, give me the grace in the midst of my pain to let go. With wisdom deeper than the oceans, you have fashioned with great love a special cross for each of us. May my Lenten gift this year be to more clearly see my cross as a Jacob's Ladder, rising to you out of my painful, troubled sea. I place myself with trust into your hands so that I may joyfully embrace everything that I would gladly prefer to discard as disgrace everything that makes up my cross, my way to you, beloved God. 
Open my heart this day, that I may see with eyes of truth, whether the painful cross I bear as mine, claiming as a holy burden, does indeed come from you, my God, or if by chance my cross is one of my own creation. Teach me this day not to carry my cross, but rather the Jacob's ladder of your will. Guide me as I seek with all my heart to climb it daily as a sacred spiral staircase, spiraling in sacrificial splendor, winding ever wider, ever higher, opening me more and more to your wisdom and will, to becoming one in you. Amen.